Things are casual. May we stand for truth and righteousness in all our ways, God. We will acknowledge you because you make our path straight. Thank you today for this worship. May it have blessed you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Pastor Dennis and worship team. It's good to be in the house of God this morning. Amen? Amen. Amen. I want to draw your attention to a couple of things inside the worship folder. Lots of announcements, a lot of things happening right now at Hillside. First of all, by way of reminder, we are in the midst of 30 days of prayer. And so I want to encourage you in the area of prayer. I want to invite you to join with us as a congregation. Many cards were turned in last Sunday with names of prodigals. I want you to know we are praying with you for prodigals in your life and prodigal family members that you know and that you love and you are desiring to return to the Lord. There were also a number of names that were written down of people who have never made a commitment to the Lord and we are praying for their salvation. So I want to encourage you in that area. Let's be faithful to remember our brothers and sisters and cry out their names before the Lord that they would return to the Lord. Then by way of reminder, we are where we have a missions emphasis and there we have handed out many prayer calendars. I want to encourage you to continue to pray for our family members who are serving on the foreign mission field. So in your time of prayer, please set aside time to be praying for them. Okay, also want to remind you that next Sunday, January 31st, it really is our Heart for the House Sunday. We have a special missionary guest, our missionary family to Chile, Rick and Laurel Ellis. They will be joining us. They will be telling us their story, an amazing story of a congregation that believed God and some miracle kinds of stuff happened. And I want to encourage you to come because it will, it will be an inspiration, I trust, to every one of us to hear what God is doing. And it will be a time of reflection for us personally in what the Lord is currently doing in our congregation and in our midst. So some really exciting stuff. I want to encourage you about that next Sunday. And it is our commitment Sunday for our capital campaign, Heart for the House, 2016, from January through June. We are believing God for some miracle kinds of things in the area of finances. We saw some great strides last year. We're believing God for some great strides this year, both within our fellowship and with individuals, lives, and families within the fellowship and in our community. So I encourage you next week. I want to remind everybody, it's January and giving statements are available. So immediately after service, your 2015 giving or uh, financial statements, if you will, from the church, those are available. You'll see Josh Miller in the back, uh, and those are available. I want to encourage you to stop by there. We have a spring mission trip coming up. It is the Metro Capital Serve 2016. We have a number of young people and some adults that are going to be going up and down the West Coast from Seattle down to San Francisco for a 10-day mission outreach on the streets of our cities and our capitals. So I want to encourage you to be praying for them. If you want more information about that, there are flyers at the table in the back. I want to encourage you to be a part of that. That'd be marvelous. I want to mention also that our 55 and above group SOAR, they have a movie on Saturday, January 30th at 6.30 at the Promise Center. 
The movie is War Room. So if you're in that 55 and above, spring chicken types, we want to encourage you to come on out and be a part. It's a great time of fellowship and to see an awesome movie about prayer. And then I want to remind everybody that following next Sunday service is our afterglow, our monthly afterglow. We're going up to Godfather's Pizza right at about probably 12 o'clock, 11.45, 12 o'clock, as many can come. We enjoy. We invite you to join us up there. It's a no-host lunch. They make a great deal for us. It's a special price. There's great pricing for the children. It's pizza, salad bar, pop, and a great opportunity to fellowship. So please make plans to join us up there. Well, it's an honor for me to introduce very familiar uh, pastor and minister in our community. He's been a part of our fellowship for a number of years, and we absolutely love Randy Sanford and his family. Randy has been in ministry for the better part of 30 plus years. He's been a lead pastor of a very large church in our community for over 20 years, but mostly important, he's been a husband and a father to an amazing wife and family. And so this morning, as Randy comes to share the word of the Lord this morning, remember that we have taken this notch of time away from the book of Revelation to study the word of God in prayer. Will you give a warm hillside welcome as Randy comes to bring the word of the Lord to us this morning? Praise the Lord. Love you, brother. Well, in case you don't know them, let me introduce my family. Gloria and Sarah, you're back there. Come on, stand up. Samuel right here. So they are here with me, and I'm so proud of them. I have an older daughter, uh, Rachel, who is a teacher at Oregon Episcopal School, and she and her husband gave us our first grandchild, a daughter, a granddaughter in May, and we are just love spending time with her. My second oldest, uh, Crystal, is leading worship probably right now in Southern California, and uh, I'm so excited for her. And uh, my third oldest works, lives in Portland, works in a marketing company, and she is uh, going to Africa in uh, April. I'm very, very sad about that, but she is <laughs> joining the Peace Corps to make a difference in the world. And so uh, I have uh, four daughters and one son, and I just love them so much. By the way, if any of you, some of you don't know me, if you notice that I walk kind of funny, I always say this when I begin speaking, because I'm sure there's someone in the back who goes to the person next to him, why is he walking like that? And they miss like several points while they're thinking about that. So uh, I had polio when I was a year and a half old. Uh, probably caught it from my mother because that was 1959 and nobody much caught polio in those years. And so I wear a brace on my left leg and, and uh, it's stiff. So that's why I walk like I do. Now you don't have to wonder while, I, while I'm talking. Um, I wrote a book and uh, many of you in times that I've spoken here before have gotten a copy. But if you haven't, I just wanted you to know I got a new shipment of them. And I wrote Get Smart so that you could be mentored by the best. If you want to know how to play football, you wouldn't come and talk to me about how to play football. You go to Dave. If you want to learn how to play guitar, you're going to go to Matt. You're going to, you, when you want somebody to mentor you well, you go to the very best. Well, the wisest person that ever lived and wrote down how to live your life in a wise way was Solomon. And that's what this book is all about. What does Solomon have to say about your mouth, about your family, about your friends? 
how do you do how do you live a life that's wise and secondarily if you have kids or you're younger great book for you because it's going to really help you grow and know what decisions to make as you go forward so back there by the giving station out here in the entryway have these books and there the price on it's 14.95 but i really if you don't have one i don't want you to leave today without one so whatever you can afford Whatever you can't afford, put uh, just go ahead and leave that in the basket there. If you can afford nothing, please take one with you. It really is important to me. I'm not just saying that. I mean it. So please get one, and it'll make a difference. Get one for your kids or grandkids because it will help them too as they move forward in life. On Easter Sunday in 2007, Easter Sunday 2007, it was estimated that many, most of two Listen to this number, billion Catholics, Anglicans, Protestant, and Eastern Orthodox Christians were sharing in the celebration of Christmas and read or recited the prayer that we're going to look at today in hundreds of different languages. Any of you have the problem that I have? You're like, I want to pray, but what do I pray? Ever feel that way? What do I say? Or else you, you pray everything you can think of. Lord, bless my day. Bless my family. Uh, keep my car running till I get to work. Don't let me run into anybody. Don't let anybody run into me. And then you're not sure what to say after that. Anybody besides me ever have that problem? How, how do we pray? Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Now, talk about mentoring, right? Who better than Jesus who would go into the desert for 40 days, who'd stay up all night praying all the time. He knew how to pray. And he says, if you pray, pray like this. That's what we call it the Lord's Prayer. Well, that's what we're going to look at today, the Lord's Prayer. Would you take out your notes, please, and look on the on the back or front, however you want to say it. The Lord's Prayer is written there. And would you right now, let's start just by reciting this prayer together. Would you read it with me? On the count of three, here we go. Our Father in... Sorry, i got to hear you. One, two, three. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Is there anybody that doesn't have notes? Today is going to be an interactive day. I want to make sure that you have the notes follow along. Anybody need some? Okay, good. Good. All right. So Jesus said, this is how we ought to pray. And here's where he begins. And I, I think this is amazing when we begin to think about it. He says this. He says, our Father. He doesn't begin by saying, my Father. He says, our Father. And I want you to recognize, and I I know that this church is pretty good at this, but I want you to recognize that when we begin this prayer with our Father, we're saying that we're in this together. That we have a common Father. That we are not just alone in our relationship with God, but we have a Father together. That we're brothers and sisters. And I so desire... And I'm not saying it doesn't happen because it does here a lot more than a lot of other places. That when people walk into this place, that they would feel that you would say, you're part of our family. Part of being home means you're part of the family. And that that people coming in would know that we have a sense that it is our Father. Our Father. 
our Father. And not only that, but let's, that, that word our is possessive and it does include the idea of my Father. If it's our Father, it's my Father and your Father, right? What does it mean that I'm praying to my Father? One of the things it says is, Lord, when I just say my Father, I'm saying, Lord, I want to take on your nature. When you got saved, when you came to Jesus, suddenly the spiritual DNA, the very means by which you were put together is changed. And now in our nature, we say, what are the two things that influence who we are? Our nature and our nurture, right? Our nature is changed. Turn to the person next to you and say, I've got God's nature. I've got God's nature. When I say my father, I'm saying God. I'm like you by birth, by rebirth. My father. And the nurture. Have you noticed, and in this prayer we're giving God permission to do this, but have you noticed that God is constantly transforming and conforming you to his nature? Have you noticed? So it's nature, right? Nature and nurture. His grace And sometimes his kick in the behind that God is nurturing us into who he wants us to be. It is that that nature and that nurture, that, that sense and that feeling that God is my father, my father. Now hear this. It also means that he's committed to my provision. When I say to my earthly father, you're my father. I'm recognizing and stating that relationship where my dad says, I'll never see you and your family out on the street. I'll never see you wanting because I love you too much for that. And when I say, when we say our father, we're saying, Lord, thank you for that relationship. I want you to just for a moment, just relax in that sense, and recognize that sense that God is your Father. There's the truism of the human condition that no matter how many people we have who love us, no matter how good our marriages are or how close our families are, no matter how many friends we have, we are born alone and we die alone. And only God Like it says in Revelation, stand at the door and knock. And he's talking to Christians. If anyone will hear my voice and open the door, I'll come into him and sup with him. He with me. At the very beginning of this prayer, what I'm saying is, God, you're there. You're there. I don't have to be alone. I don't have to live my life as an orphan. I don't have to live my life isolated. You're there. You're there. You're there. You are my father. So I want you for just a moment in your notes, I want you to think about this question. Dear God, what would you fill in here? Dear God, be my father and be my father and what do you want from your daddy God? What do you need? There you are sitting across the table from a little chocolate cake and milk and you're saying, my father, you've gone in, you've invited him in and he's come in to sup, have dinner with you, to hang out with you. 
What would you ask him for? Be my father. And cure the anxiety that's inside of me. Be my father. And lift me out of this depression. Be my father. And provide for me. Be my father and restore the broken places in my life. Would you take a moment and write that down right now in your notes? Be my father and what? What do you want from him? This is a prayer. When you write, do you know you can write and pray? When you're writing, you're praying. I want you to do that right now. The next phrase says simply this, in heaven. There's a wonderful cosmology that I won't go into all of it this morning, but if you, if you read through the Lord's Prayer, you can see that Jesus had a cosmological model that is really pretty intense. And the first thing he says is, that the, your Father, my, our Father, is in heaven. Now why does, that, why does that matter? Well, I'll tell you why. Because if my Father, my Father God, our Father is in heaven then that means that there is a new reality and a new vista open to us. My dad would love to do a lot of things for me. He would love to buy me a beautiful house in uh, Happy Valley, but guess what? My father's here on earth and he's limited by his resources. My father in heaven is in a different reality than I am in. He is different in a different reality than the the three dimensions that I live in. Dr. Cho says it's the fourth dimension. God lives in this other dimension and in this dimension, here's what's so cool, things might just be different. We're so pressed down and pressed in by what we perceive as the reality of this life and God moves into it and says, hey look, I'm not down here on earth with you under all the circumstances. I am above them. I am seated in heavenly places where we can be seated with Him. There is a different world there. My checkbook might say that I got three bucks in the bank. But my dad, he owns all the cattle on a thousand hills. And my heavenly bank account doesn't look like that. It's not like that. And so when it says, our Father who is in heaven, what it's telling us is that things can be and things are different. God inhabits a different reality. And it begins to say that a God, now listen to this, who is concerned about us. Hebrews 11.6 He who comes to God must believe that He exists in the heavenly realm and He rewards those who diligently seek Him. And so Jesus says, would you just come? Would you just seek Him? Because He is a Father in heaven and He will reward you as you seek Him. Folks, that's a promise I want to lay in your lap today. He will reward you if you seek Him and He is a God who is not constrained by your view of reality, who's not constrained by what the world says is real. He is above and beyond all of that. And then it says, hallowed, holy, set apart and righteous be your name. 
You see, I want you to see this. Everything bows to the name of Jesus. God rules and reigns over this whole universe. Look at the context. Daddy, you're in heaven. Things are different with you. And you're in charge. You oversee all of these things that I have to deal with. You're bigger than all of these things. Daddy, you're not stuck where I'm stuck and you're bigger than I am and you're bigger than my circumstances. But here's the catch, folks. I cannot say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, holy be your name. You are above and apart. Everything must bow to your name except for me. I will do things my way. We were just talking about that this morning, weren't we? How we want everything to bow before God unless it involves me. We want to be free to do what we want to do. And yet when I say, hallowed be your name, I humble myself. Jesus said, the the Bible tells us that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. That means boss, king, the guy in charge. He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And what about you? And what about me? Having lived for Jesus for more than 50 years, I have found that my biggest challenge is not doing the right thing. By now it's kind of habit for most of my life to do the right thing. But the challenge in my life is to have a heart that is submissive to God. I want to do the right thing because it works out well when I do it. I want to do the right thing because I've decided to do it. I don't want to do the right thing because God has said, Randy, you will do what I tell you to do. I hate that. I rebel against that. But I cannot pray. My Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, unless I'm willing to submit myself to his name, to his authority. So right now, I want you to bow your head. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to show you any place in your life where there is that little place of rebellion. It may, as I was talking about myself, be an attitude even more than an action. It may be a place in your heart that you've just reserved for yourself. And maybe you don't go there very often, but you've reserved it and you've reserved the right to reserve it. Said, I will make this decision on my own. And this morning, I'm going to ask you, as the Holy Spirit points that out, that you will say, Lord, I submit myself in that area to me, to you, Lord. I submit that to you. Lord, Holy Spirit, come right now. Lord, your name is holy. You are above and beyond. You are God. You are Lord. You are king over everything. So, Holy Spirit, would you convict us? You are the spirit of conviction. Would you convict us? In that, to any place in our heart, in our mind, in our actions that we have refused to submit to you, that we've held on to and made ourselves Lord over instead of making you Lord. And in this moment, may we give it to you. May our knee bow. May our knee bend before you in that area.
Amen. Okay, now here's, here's where it gets exciting. I hope it's been fun so far, but here's where it really gets exciting. In verse 10, it says this, Your kingdom come, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, let's start, as I talked about that cosmology, let's start with some definitions. What is the kingdom of God? And the kingdom of God is that arena. If you were to draw a circle and you say, where is God in charge? And you draw this big circle. That's the kingdom of God. Your kingdom come. God, expand the area in which you rule and reign. Would you enlarge it? Your kingdom come. Now here's the question that we have to ask as I look around my world and where I live and I look at my, my finances, I look at my neighbors, I, I look at my children, I, I, I look at the, the world around me. Here's the question I have to ask. What? Here's what prayer is all about. What in my world is unaligned with God's will? What do I look at and I say, no, it should not be like that. It just shouldn't be like that. That's a passion we have to have to say, Lord, I understand your will. And my friend is sick. And it's not your will that they be sick. Your wife is sick. It's not God's will for her to be sick. I was just in in Orlando and I, I went to this thing called the Urban Initiative Summit, and we were talking about the African-American community in Orlando and, and the poverty and the, the challenges that they're facing. And you look at that and you say, Lord, it's not your will for these people. It's not your will. They love you. You want the best for them. And what prayer is, is saying, Lord, would you please align the circumstances? My, my children are walking off the path. Would you please align the circumstances with your will? That's what prayer is all about. Many of us saw a man that was in jail over in Iran. Pastor Abendini, and we started praying for him. And many, many millions of people... Many Christians were praying, Lord, release him, Lord, release him, Lord, release him. Governments had to make deals. Back channels had to be set up. Negotiations had to take place. All this stuff had to happen because God was aligning what was happening here on earth with His will. And the week before last, after... Thousands and thousands of hours of prayer. That man was released from that prison in Iran. Amen. Amen. What we prayed for, right? Because your will be done, God. I don't care what the Iranian government thinks. I don't care whether the U.S. government's doing everything that it can. What I care about is that you have the power for your will to be done. What is it in your life? What is it in your life that's not lining up with God's will? God says, I, I will provide for all your needs. And you say, <laughs> I don't see it. Well, are you praying? Are you asking that his will be done on earth as it is in, 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 on earth as it is in heaven? Bringing his will into being. Bringing his will into being. Bringing His will into being. Lord, what do you want me to do? And here's what happens. When you start praying that prayer, 
It's a little bit dangerous because God's going to say, here's how you partner with me to co-create, to co-author my will here on earth. Here's how it happens. One of the things that I was doing in Orlando, and you'll see in the back of your notes, a class that I just got qualified to teach called Biblical Entrepreneurship. And that's what we're doing. We're saying, how do we bring in this community that is poor, that's impoverished, that's having difficulties, how do we give them a biblical entrepreneurial spirit so that we can see that situation turned around? How do we do it? Because we want God's will done. We want God's will done. When you pray, He begins changing things, but He begins changing you and showing you how you can be part of getting His will done. So here's my question to you. What is unaligned in your world? What needs to come under the kingship of God? Would you take a moment and would you please, would you please pray about that? Now, think of it in concentric circles. Well... My life's doing pretty good. My family's doing pretty good. But, oh, you know what? When I start thinking about my extended family, or I I think about my friends, uh, there's some chinks there where things aren't lining up. Well, how about our world? I mean, you can look at our world and look at the murder rate in the United States. Look at the scourge of abortion. We ought to be saying, Lord, your will be done in this nation. Your will be done in this world where, where people are being killed left and right, where people are being pushed out of their homes, where the whole world is being disrupted. Lord, your will be done. That's not what you intend. Your will be done. That's what we ought to be praying. I'd like you to do two things. I'd like you to think about in those concentric circles of your life, what is one or two things that you would say, boy, God's will needs to be done. And there's a card that was right there, and it says, right here, please agree with me in prayer about, would you write down whatever it is that you're praying for? Because I want to pray with you, and, and the leadership of this church wants to pray with you. Would you just write that down and maybe put your name at the bottom of this card? What is it that you would say, Lord, your will be done? Your will be done. In what situation? In your marriage, in your kids, in your finances? If nothing else, man, we need to be praying for our state, our country, and our world. Where does your will need to be done? Would you write that down right now? I'm going to give you just a moment to do that. So here's what we've said. Our Father, God personally cares about me and cares about us together. My Father, you're in heaven. Things are different there than they are here. They're perfect there. They're not so perfect here yet. There's a different reality that we can access. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed. You are powerful. You are in charge. You're the boss. Hallowed be your name now. Right here on earth, your kingdom come. That kingdom that's perfect up there in heaven, may that place of rule come down and reign in my life, in my community, in my home, and in my state, in my nation, in my world. May your kingdom come right down here on earth. Lord, 
we all can look at things and say, this is not aligned with your purpose. This is not what you intend, God. This is not what your will is. Would your kingdom come? Lord, we pray into existence. We co-author with you and believe with you, partner with you in asking that our lives, our circumstances, our world would come in line with your purposes, come in line with your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. I've been thinking about this this week. God's been talking to me about this. Do you know what? Have you ever noticed that God only gives you enough for today? Has anybody noticed that? Anybody besides me? In fact, I think God gives you two things. One, He gives you a vision. You kind of know where you're going, right? The lodestar. Here's your purpose in life. This is what you're supposed to be all about. And then He just gives you the next step. And sometimes, you know you're supposed to be going there, but the next step seems to go here. And it's God says, it's okay. Just take the next step. Luckily, Jesus said this, each day's trouble is enough for itself. Now here's the deal. God gives you enough grace for today. Let me say that again. God only gives you enough grace for today. Do you know why you get consumed by anxiety? Because you're living in tomorrow and you ain't got no grace for tomorrow. You've only got grace for today. So we pray, Lord, give me today my daily bread. When the children of Israel, and this kind of, I think, refers to this, when children of Israel were walking across the desert, God said to them, look, here's what I want you to do. Manna just means what is it. He says, I want you to go out there and get that what is it, and you only get enough for today. If you try to get enough for tomorrow, somebody tell me, what was going to happen if they tried to get enough for tomorrow? What's that? It rot. That's right. Get worms in it. A lot of the smart ones like, I'm going to get three days worth. And they discovered that wasn't a very good idea. And we need to just be saying, Lord, give me today what I need. What do you need today? Do you need joy? Do you need peace? Do you need a, a sense of God's presence? Do you need to get over the next? Whatever it is, Lord, give me today my daily bread. I figured out how much I need every month. And then I divided that up by days. And Gloria and I pray and say, Lord, we want this much every day. Now, it comes in chunks, yes. But in my prayer and my believing, I'm saying, Lord, this is my daily bread. This is what I need from you today, today, today. And that's what I challenge you today. Say, Lord, this is what I need. Give me today what I need my financial provision, my emotional provision, preparing me for where I'm going, but do it today. So would you just take a moment, and I'm going to ask you that question, what do you need today? Right now, if I, if I was your best friend, and we were completely open with each other, and I caught you at the door, and I'd say, what do you need today? What do you need today? What would you have told me? Sadly, probably nothing, but there was something you need to tell God about it. So let's just take a moment. And ask him for what you need today.
Verse 12 says, And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Unconfessed sin does not keep you out of heaven, but it does stand as a barrier between you and God and your intimate relationship with Him. And we, we say, Lord, forgive me today. My sins, what I'm doing is saying, Lord, I want to be close again. I want to be close again. When you offend your husband or your wife, you notice that they probably aren't calling up the lawyer and drawing up divorce papers. But the bed might be a little bit cold. And so might dinner be. And the conversation in either one might not be so warm because you have offended that relationship. And we need to say, Lord, forgive me. I've just, I've messed up. It says in the, in the Bible, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins. And I love this, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need that sense of cleansing. So we have two choices. We can pretend that we haven't done anything wrong, or we can go and confess it and be cleansed. So then he says, let's get it right here and then figure out what needs to be right here and forgive those who have trespassed against you. What have have people done to you? How many times do we carry that around? It's so sick. It's so wrong. It's so sickening when we're angry with someone and we don't even, we don't acknowledge it. We don't deal with it. But boy, you run into them at Safeway and you, you go to the next aisle You think about them, your stomach gets tight because you haven't forgiven them. You haven't let go of them. We need to recognize how much we need to be forgiven. And then in recognizing that, we are reminded how important it is for us and how easy it is, it ought to be, to forgive other people. We want our slate clean, both with God and with other people. Now, I want you to write on your notes... And I'm going to ask you, probably, maybe you want to hide this from the person next to you, but I uh, write down right there, God forgive me for whatever. What's in your heart right now that you want forgiveness? Maybe you were angry and you shouldn't have been. Maybe there's some lust that you allowed in your heart. Maybe you stole something. Maybe you had done something you knew you shouldn't do. What do you need to be forgiven for? And who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? Sometimes you need to forgive yourself. And sometimes there have been times in my life when I was mad at God. God, I forgive you because you haven't operated the way that I wanted you to. So go ahead, write that down, would you, right now? Now we have seen here... Two parts of, of God's cosmology. God's in charge in heaven. We're down here on earth is the battleground that we're saying, Lord, may your will be done right here on earth. We get to battle in prayer. And then in between is this part here. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We have to recognize that spiritual warfare is real. Let me tell you this, as if you didn't know. There really is a Satan, and he really wants to screw up your life. And if you don't do something about it, he will succeed. We need to be praying in that spiritual warfare. A few months ago, there was a a shooting in Roseburg. And you think about what happened in that situation. Some guy just decided uh, on the spur of the moment, I'm going to go shoot some people. I don't think so. Satanic forces were at work. We look at, at, at the, the rise of ISIS all over our world and we say, what's going on there? These people aren't acting rationally. There is a satanic force, a demonic force that's motivating and driving people. And so 
if we don't show up for the fight, if we don't pray against those things that could be and are destructive to our life, then we're going to lose. How many times do we have the lies? That's where it starts. Those little lies that go off in our brain. Anybody besides me deal with lies in your mind? Come on, raise your hand. I want to see that. You're an idiot. You're never going to succeed. You're never going to accomplish anything. Those are the the ways in which the demonic forces are fighting you all the time. What are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? Fight the battle. Find the truth. State the truth. Hold on to the truth. Are you believing lies? Satan's at work. Is there a lack where there ought to be abundance? Satan is at work. Is there a covenant relationship in your life that is broken? Satan's at work, and he may be at work in you. Here's what I want you to do. Again, it's your last time. I see Satan at work where? In your family, in your work. Where do you see Satan at work? And you're going to be asking God to stop him and establish God's kingdom. So please just jot that down, would you? Now, would you uh, go back to your notes? Now, with some understanding, I want you to read once again the Lord's Prayer. Let's read it together, shall we? And read it loudly, strongly. Here we go. One, two, three. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now in the older translations, it says this, and I just love it. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We have reason to believe that the original authors didn't write that, but it's inspired in a different way. Because a guy who was transcribing this, a guy who was moving it from one document to another, reads the Lord's Prayer, and he gets so excited, he goes, And thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever! He just can't help himself. He knows he shouldn't be writing on that manuscript. He knows he shouldn't be putting that there, but he does anyway, because it just so touches him. Your Father in heaven is inviting you to participate. Now you filled out those cards. I'd love for you to finish it. You can see a class that I'm going to teach when I was in Orlando. I got certified as a teacher for biblical entrepreneurship. It's going to be a wonderful class, college level, 16-hour class, and you can mark there if you're interested, and we'll talk about how to get in on that class um, and uh, please, we want your prayer. I want your prayer request. Would you finish filling that out? Give me your email address so that we can encourage you. If you'd like me this week, what I want you to do is remind you. Take this, put it somewhere where you'll see it. That's probably a mirror. That's usually where we find, remember things. Put it where you'll see it. Give me your email address and I'll remind you all week long to be praying this prayer. Okay, would you do that? Now finish up your cards and please pass them to your right, and uh, we'll have an usher fill it, uh, usher pick them up, and would you welcome back Pastor Dave? Hey, let's-
Let's thank Randy, you guys. That was awesome. Praise the Lord. I was thinking about thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And we have been memorizing uh, portions of Psalm 119. And this is what we were talking about in the back just before service. And at the conclusion of Psalm 119, there is 176 verses. And time and time and time again, the psalmist said, I have loved your precepts. I have loved your word. I love your law. I love, I love, I love. And he gets to the very end and he says, I, like a sheep, have gone astray. I, like a sheep, have gone astray. And he had just said that he loves his commandments. Maybe you're here today and you love the Lord. You love his commandments. And as Randy brought out in that prayer opportunities for us to reveal there's areas in my life where I, like a sheep, have gone astray. I have wandered from your lordship. I have wandered from your kingship. And, or I've neglected to open these doors to your kingship. Our prayer is that this week, beginning today, will be a day of complete transformation where we allow the Lord His rightful place in our lives. And not just cliche our lives, but literally every area, every compartment, if you will, of our hearts that God would take His rightful place, the throne. We have a number of people who have indicated that they would like to be baptized. The interesting thing, we find ourselves this morning that they, not all of them are here. In fact, I've not seen one of them here. <laughs> so we have made opportunity for folks to be baptized. Let me ask the question. Well, let me tell you a story real quick first. We have a dear brother of ours who loves the Lord. He's an evangelist uh, in his gifting. God has just given him this anointing. He loves, loves, loves uh, folks and he is loving his family and his friends in the kingdom of God. And this past week, he has been sharing with a brother who uh, has, or sharing with a friend who didn't know the Lord. And uh, this individual uh, went to the doctors. He's had a condition since he was 41 or 42 years old, and he was told that he wouldn't have much time. He's 53 years old now. And, uh, but he's been told that he has now three months to live. And... Um, so Monday evening after our church council meeting, he came up and he said, could we get together with him this week? I said, absolutely. You name the time, we'll make it happen. And uh, he texted me on the phone. He says, could we do it on Friday at such and such time? I said, I'd love to do that. And uh, we, we met at, uh, we actually met at Wichita and from Wichita climbed into his vehicle and we drove right around the corner to uh, this uh, gentleman's house and was greeted at the front door by his dear wife. And uh, came inside and had a warm welcome from this uh, friend of the fellowship. He's been to church one time during one of our barbecues. It was great. Anyway, had the amazing opportunity to hear kind of his story in a, in, a, in a nutshell. Where he is in terms of his faith. And he, he believed in God. He believed in God. He believed there was a heaven. And he believed there was a hell. And as I began to share God's plan of salvation. And man's plight in that we are sinners and every one of us needs a savior 
we need, each of us individually, our sin forgiven. And I explained how God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son, Jesus. Jesus who, in turn, died a substitutionary death. He died a death that each one of us deserved. He died in our place. And I shared with Him from the Scripture where the Bible says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I shared with Him if we confess with our mouth Jesus Christ is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. And I asked Him, I said, have you put your faith in what Jesus Christ accomplished upon the cross when He shed His blood for your sin? And He said, I have not done that. And I said, would you like to do that? Would you like to know today that your sin, your transgression, your willful disobedience, would you like to know for sure that your sin is forgiven? Would you like to know that your name is written in God's book in heaven and that you have the gift of eternal life? And with tears in his eyes, he said, I would. And so we made that declaration together. Jesus Christ is Lord. We talked about believing in our hearts that God had raised him from the dead. He made that affirmation, that declaration. We prayed, even though there's not a formula in a sinner's prayer, so to speak, we simply prayed for that lordship area in his life that he would yield completely and he would receive the gift of God in eternal life. And at 53 years old, this young man gave his heart to the Lord. And he is born again. And we say, hey, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I say that to say, thank you, Jesus. I say that to say, uh, we are hopeful that he'll join us. And uh, I'm looking across the room, and I, I, don't, see, I don't see him here this morning. Uh, we had invited him. He, again, he's not well. He's, uh, in many days, he's confined to the bed. And so we're hoping that in the weeks to come, he'll be able to be here and he'll make public testimony by being baptized in water. I say that to say, you may be here. Your faith may be already in the Lord Jesus Christ, unto salvation, but you may not have made that public declaration. Philip came upon an Ethiopian eunuch who was riding in a carriage, and he caught up to that carriage and began to expound the Scripture in the book of Isaiah to this Ethiopian. And the Ethiopian put his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and he says, saving water, what prevents me from being baptized? Here's water. And so Philip baptized the Ethiopian in the water that was right there. He put his faith in the Lord and he was baptized. Have you been baptized? Have you made that public declaration that I am a follower of Jesus Christ? I want to give you an opportunity. You say, well, I haven't come prepared with a change of clothes. That's okay. You can ride home wet in your car. <laughs> it's all right. I remember when I got baptized, I went down to the cove down in Southern California. I did, all I had was a bathing suit. I just, you know, we peeled off our shirts and we went down in the water and we were just baptized and there were hundreds of people on the cove just watching as hundreds of people walked into the water and they weren't all prepared to be baptized. They just went in. Some of them went in fully clothed and went home fully clothed, sand on their shoes and sand in their pockets. But public testimony, I'm a Jesus follower, and it's pretty cool stuff. So I want to ask the question. Your faith is in Christ, and you just simply say, I want to make that public declaration today. There, Here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Only you. Only you. So is there anyone here who'd say, I'd make that stand. I'll be publicly baptized right now, and I'll make that declaration to everybody here. David. 
Come on down. Praise the Lord. Here we go. Come on, brother. Frank, come down. I'm calling you, Frank. Praise the Lord. Hey, every, say again. Yeah, no phones. <laughs> phones and wallets. This is David. I met David last Sunday for the very first time. David came to the Lord. Frank, let me get a microphone. Everyone say good morning to Frank and David. This is Frank, and Frank and his family have been attending Hillside for a number of months now, and but really new, new to our fellowship, right. been involved in ministry for many, many years, and uh, loves the Lord deeply. And D- Frank, just tell us Dave's story real quick, and then David will get you the opportunity. And if you'd like to be involved in this baptism, that'd be great too. Very good. Amen. Um, I had a little church for a long time, and uh, uh, David walked in one day. We had a men's Bible study, and uh, he was staring with his cousin, He'd lived on the streets for how long? About eight months. About eight months, and and no one in the fa- all the family rejected him, and he was on a, on a run, living on the streets, and his uh, cousin gave him a, got a hold of him and invited her him to stay at her house, and it was right around the ch- the corner from our church, so David said, I just felt he came in, we knew I knew immediately what we needed to do. There was no Bible study that night. It was uh, it was around David. <laughs> so we got to share the gospel with David and knew that he just had come in and said, I, I just was compelled to come to church today, yeah. tonight. Yeah. And we shared the gospel with him. And to my shock, in all the 40 years of ministry that I've been in, I shared the gospel with him and he said, wow, that's really good news. <laughs> um, and that was two years ago. Yeah. And... Um, Invited David to come to church here last week, and he came, and uh, so he's here with us tonight, today, and Praise the Lord. made this. He wants to make that confession in front of all of you, and that proclamation, and that affirmation yes. uh, that he he loves the Lord. Amen. 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 Well, David, yeah, praise the Lord. Doesn't get much better than that. I love it when someone says, "I felt compelled to come to church today." They hear the good news, they receive the good news, declare it's good news. And that's exciting. Well, David, why don't you make your way over here, and uh, I'm going to invite you. You might want to take off your shoes. I'd say take off your feet. You could take your shoes and your socks off. And if you want to take off your outer shirt, Frank, I see you have a sweater on. I can do the Duncan unless, come on in here, brother. Let's get wet. (laughs) I love it. And maybe you're here and you're thinking, hey, what's preventing me? Again, testimony of Jesus Christ in your life, your trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin and your...